0: This episode of Solar Stories is produced by Mouth Media Network and presented by Solar.
1: All right, all right, all right. <laughs> welcome, everybody, to uh, Solar Stories. Um, tonight's episode is being recorded live from the Ranch at Rock Creek during the inaugural Solar Symposium, and I'm very proud to welcome uh, Natalie Zafat and Jeff Bullis. To the stage for those of you that don't know either of these two um, Jeff is a business blogger uh, serial entrepreneur and investor in several companies Um, Inc magazine rated him as the number one business blogger in the world he flew all the way out here from um, Australia just to make this trip and just to do this recording so we very much thank you aunt for that um, and Natalie is a contributing writer to Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, Rolling Stone. Um, she also is a, an influencer. She's got a, a lot of brand relationships, and she's also an authority in the social media marketing space. So, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here.
1: So, um, I'm just going to jump right in um, as you guys. Hopefully, no. Did you listen to any of the previous episodes? Sure. Okay. Nope. So, you know that I hire a private investigator to look into your backgrounds, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So, you know I know everything? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there anything you want to tell me before we get started? Uh, we'll chat later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, tonight, I, I really want to focus on uh, sort of where we've come to the evolution of, of social media um, and, and where we think it's going. Cause there's a lot of interesting things coming down the line. Uh, there's a lot of rumors about, you know, API changes and platform changes to the big guys like Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then there's all these cool, uh, platforms that are bubbling up, uh, that either tie into social media or work with influencers or work with brands or both. Um, and so why don't we start off, uh, and either one of you can take this, but then I want the other one to, uh, to jump in with their similar thoughts. Um, tell me a little bit about where you see the evolution of social media, how it's gotten where it is today and where you think it's going in the near future.
2: Happy to start out. Um, First of all, thanks so much for having us, George. This is awesome, and we're having just the best week here with you. You're welcome. And I also feel like an American Idol judge up here, so (laughs) (laughs) thanks for giving me my Katy Perry moment. (laughs) Um, I I think the world of influencer marketing really started out because audiences are kind of sick of hearing from celebrities. I think... People, after watching commercials featuring Matthew McConaughey driving a Lincoln down a dusty road, started feeling like, this is an actor. I don't know if I believe that he loves this product as much as he says he does, right? His job is to act as if he likes or doesn't like something. I'm curious what somebody like me might think of this product. And I also am willing to give a chance to somebody like me to follow and listen to what they have to say. And I think that's actually what has sort of birthed this influencer movement that we're seeing now a multi-billion dollar industry.
1: Yeah. Um, Jeff, do you want to jump in?
3: Yeah, so uh, I started uh, my website and blog 10 years ago because I just love this intersection of humanity and technology. And I, my observation of it back then was only $5 million on Twitter there was only 50 million on Facebook. Now we've got 2.2 billion, right? So this is right at the birth of social media. And then on top of that, we actually had the intersection of another obsessive technology, uh, the smartphone the iPhone. So the intersection of these two technologies just gave everyone a voice. That's what excited me 10 years ago. It still excites me today. This intersection of these two technologies gave every one of you in this room the ability to be publishers globally and build distribution. And this is what excites me today to see. And what I also love, and the conversations I had with George, is that the people that are in this room are here because they're experts and are good at what they do, right? I struggle a little bit with the Insta famous, in other words, looking good, right? I want to hear content of consequence from people that actually are. The best in their field are experts. And when George and I spoke and went, you got my attention. So when I started 10 years ago, I was excited by the possibility of what social media gave to everyone globally. And I've felt like a global citizen ever since. And we all now can actually reach the world with our creations, whatever they are. And Today, we're moving into a future which is both exciting and worrying, you know, like fake news, right, where social media is being used for evil as well as good, Uh, so the reality there is that any technologies can be used for good or for bad, it really, that's what happens, nuclear energy, nuclear bomb, nuclear power, the reality is that any technology can be used for both sides you have the choice to use it for good or to use it for evil. And I think that's what excites me today. And I hopefully stand on the side of good. <laughs> so today, where are we going? Uh, I really don't know, but it's it's actually fascinating. We live in a world of possibility. So we've got artificial intelligence. We've got creation and videos being created at scale by robots and technology. We've got... Uh, Technology actually can write content, right? Sometimes very badly, but surprisingly very good sometimes, right? So we've got content that has been written for news stories that are done by robots. Um, I think this technology is giving us as human beings the ability to be more creative because you've got to be authentic and real.
1: All right, so I've got a follow-up for both of you. Um, so I agree with you, Natalie, that um, the it used to be that the editors of Vogue and GQ and Esquire and whatnot were the authorities in terms of what's trending. And they would communicate that through their publications to the consumer public who would then follow those brands and say, this must be the coolest thing because they're telling me it is. Um, that has changed. And now influencers are the curators of style, right? And they're the people that are, um, you know, if I'm a consumer and I'm looking for a new bag, I'm not going to go shop all 100 D2C bag brands that are out there today. I'm going to go to my five favorite influencers and find out what brands they love in common and just shop from that group. Um, And so I agree with you that the focus is off of the fake, right? It's off of uh, the actors, the, uh, celebrities. Did you guys see that Ellen DeGeneres thing that happened? Well, so, well, so she, about a week ago. She, um, she said on her show, I think that she's really good friends with GW oh, yeah. Bush or George, GW. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, pre- the the most recent Bush. And, um, There was this huge backlash, uh, mostly from the public saying that, you know, you consider yourself a liberal, you consider yourself an LBGT, you know, very important figure in this scene. How can you be friends with that guy that, you know, literally started a war where, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have died? Um, And there was this pile on of celebrities that uh, defended her. And said, Oh, come on, we can be friends with whoever we want. Stop, you know, be nice. You gotta be nice to people. You can't judge people. And all of the public then jumped on those celebrities and was like, Are you out of your mind? Like you sit from a seat of privilege. You know, you have wealth and power. And of course you want to be friends with, you know, the Bushes because it it benefits you in some way. But you're you're completely overlooking like the impact of his decisions. So that, to me, was the the most obvious recent example of how people were sort of telling celebrities to go home. Um, And so I just would love to hear your feedback or follow up on that.
2: Yeah. Um, I think Ellen does a really good job of making sure that people who do not have the hour to sit at home and watch her show can watch it on social media. So I'm sure you watched that clip on Facebook, right? Right. Did anybody else watch that clip on Facebook? I see a lot of hands in the audience. Did anybody watch that clip in real time on TV? I don't see any hands. One hand. Okay, good for you, sir.
1: <laughs> You're joking.
2: <laughs> I respect it. Anywhere you want to watch Ellen is good by me. But what I love so much about her is that, you know, 10 years ago, Ellen had John McCain on her show. Mm-hmm. Ellen is not afraid to have someone on her show who she disagrees with and who she wants the public to understand their side on. I think that's a beautiful thing and a very admirable thing. I don't necessarily think it's one to sort of shake your fist at. Um, And from a social media standpoint, I will say the same thing. One of my favorite things about social media is that it's so democratic. You choose who you want to follow. You grow an audience that can keep you personally in business so that you don't have to take a job you don't want and sit at a desk 40 hours a week and hate your life. I'm seeing a lot of heads being shaken because I know in this room there are so many entrepreneurs who said, I'm using the power of social media to democratize my personal life and take that chance and in some cases see it pay off.
1: And then a follow-up for you, Jeff. So you talked a lot about the future of social media and how you think that, um, you know, there's, you're, you're, you're a, you're a glass half full guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, which is great. I love optimists. I'm an optimist, but uh, you know, the, the flip side of that is that a lot of people are now seeing, um, social media, not as a, a place to share ideas, but actually as a surveillance state, right? Um, TikTok, a lot of people have said, was started by the Chinese government um, as a way to uh, basically keep an eye on the public because they'll be doing videos and photos and you know where they are and they're tagging themselves and it's just, it's a surveillance state. Um, and uh, they've been pouring money into the development of that platform and, and so, you know, who's to say whether that's true or not. Um, and on that same front, um, has, anybody, has anybody heard from Jack Ma in the last eight days? have you heard from him he's been disappeared in the last eight days he's been taken out of the limelight he was one of the most influential chinese in the world and by all accounts online he had become too popular for the communist state and they he's been disappeared so uh it'd be interesting to follow that story and see what happens. Jack Ma, who owns Alibaba, one of the wealthiest guys in the world. Um, let's remember we said this and, and let's see what happens. Um, but most people aren't talking about that, right? Um, can you imagine if Jeff Bezos just disappeared, nobody knew where he was and he'd been gone for eight days, it'd be all over the news. So my question to you is, do you think that the AR and the VR and the facial recognition and all the shit, in my opinion, that's coming down the road is, is still a good thing? Um, I spoke last year at um, the
3: World Youth Forum actually in Egypt and it was hosted by the President of Egypt and he ran a roundtable which had the bad side of social and the good side of social. There was 12 people on the panel and the President of Egypt is hosting it. Um, And the back of my mind I'm going, why is he doing this? Is it because he's trying to control the population's uh, thought processes? So I'm on the half glass full, the positive side, and then you've got the negative side. And that night I got interviewed on uh, one of Egypt's largest um, talk shows, and I had two professors who don't really do social media who are talking about the evils of social media in terms of, um, how it's trapping our young people, it's taking their narcissism and and there is some real issues on that. So for me, I'm watching a government official right next to me and I'm hearing conversations from both sides of the camp at the World Youth Forum. There were 5,000 you know, young people there. And I look at the whole landscape um, because I've been in this industry now for 10, 11 years. So I suppose I'm one of the almost grandpas of the industry. And the interesting thing about it is um, it also comes down to choice and governments are going to use it how they want to use it. Um, And as individuals, I think, and in this room, you've got... There's a lot of power in this room, right? Okay, you guys can actually impact and change uh, the conversations in your sectors and your niches. And I think what you've got to do is understand that uh, for me... I can watch 24 7 news cycle and be so depressed I want to go and shoot myself, right? Because that's what it's about. News is about drama, it's about catastrophe. That's what sells eyeballs, traffic, and newspapers. So for me, I know where I want to play, but you also got to be aware of what's going on. And one of the biggest challenges we have playing in social media is that if you give all your focus to one platform you are fighting the algorithm okay and we know in 2013 2014 facebook decided to actually reduce organic reach now it's pay to play okay so you can't beat the system you're just got to work out a growth it. so how can i play how can i actually reach my audience at the lowest possible cost. And businesses always want to do more with less. So how can I play the game? And that's my challenge all the time is how can I growth hack almost all the platforms? And they keep changing the algorithms all the time. There's 550, 600 algorithm changes on Google alone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after... um Mark Zuckerberg went before Congress and they made the changes to their API. Uh, There were entire platforms like uh, Like It, Know It that didn't work for like two weeks because the API link was broken.
3: I'd just like to say something in the middle of this too. Um, It was on Wired Magazine one week ago. Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook team decided to uh, allow politicians to lie and not be taken down Companies and personal individuals will be taken down if they actually do fake stuff.
1: Well, you know that's actually a a federal law. Yeah, politicians are, by federal law, by right, allowed to lie. Yes. In their political speech and in their advertising. I know. Not just on social media, but even even on the mic, they could stand up and. And that's the same
3: in Australia. They got the actual parliamentary privilege. We call it in Australia. Right. That scares me. One rule for politicians, the rest of the population are judged by, and Facebook can take you down, but they can't take a Trump tweet or McCain tweet down. I, it's just really scary.
1: Yeah. Well, I think to a degree, these platforms are being used by uh, the rich and powerful all over the world in some ways to control people. That's right. And that's why when I was in Egypt, I'm
3: aware there's a game going on. I'm not sure what the game is, but there's a game going on.
1: Yeah. Well, just look at the Arab Spring. Look at, look at how many countries have, um, bundled their internet into one gateway so they can literally shut it off. Like Russia just did two weeks ago. They can literally shut it off if they decide that, you know, there's propaganda that's, you know, fueling, uh, hatred or mistrust of politicians inside of their country. Um, And so there has been no pushback by any of the big tech companies to say that that's wrong and we're not going to allow you to have Google services in Russia now or you can't use Facebook. Absolutely not. That's right. Um, Before we move off of this subject to my next question, would anybody from the audience like to either comment or ask a question about uh, this subject? Do you want to come up to the mic, Bruce? And why don't you uh, introduce yourself? uh, I'm Bruce Katz.
4: I think I'm arguably the oldest person in this room. <laughs> uh, so I pioneered social media. I saw, actually, I want to stop right there. I pioneered online community starting in 1992, 91. The first thing I'd just like to point out to everybody in this room is that Social and media somehow got put together as if it was one thing, right? I mean, I'm, I've been at this you know, for 25 years. I did on you know online community was where I started and I, I kind of came to San Francisco from Boston thinking that we needed to have community and as we started a meeting on this Unix platform called the well and then later, you know, I acquired Delphi and was involved in all that stuff. And it seems like we have to kind of remember that we've commercialized the social relationships between people. Um, so I'm, So that's just one observation. Somehow social media has become like one word. And I think we have to really remember that a lot of this is about people interacting with people. It's about the relationships exactly. between people. A lot of the reason they're there is they're just... We, I remember when Stuart Brand started calling them prosumers because at the beginning of the internet, they put up the the weather and they put up you know the encyclopedia and they put up and you know, we were all wow you could look this stuff up, and then Stuart Brand, who was kind of my mentor, basically from you know from the Whole Earth Catalog, said, you know the the future is that that that. The people who are coming online, they're going to produce the content. The content is not going to be, you know, I used to be on platforms with Steve Case and AOL and, 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 you know, he wanted everybody to be on the cruise ship and keep everybody in AOL. And I said, it's just never going to happen, Steve. It's just going to, everybody wants to be a part of this thing. So I just want to remind people who, you know, who are a lot younger than I am that this really started about people interacting with people. People used to dial into the well and they would dial in from Germany to like a 2400 baud modem. (laughs) <laughs> Which you have no idea how slow that is, but believe me, it is incredibly slow. It's just a, you, you can get three cups of coffee while you're waiting for something to post. Exactly. Exactly. I still remember when, when my engineer said, we're going to buy a 9,600-baud modems. I said, really, Maurice, We're going what, what happens when it's fastest? There we're never going to be outdated 9,600-baud modems. I mean, now we're talking about three megabits. I mean, this was, you, you don't even know what a baud is. It's ridiculous. There's a T1 a line in this, this range.
1: So anyway, that's
4: just one observation that, that well, we should really remember in this social media thing to take it apart. It's really social, and we are imposing all this commercialization to sell people stuff. Sometimes they need it, and some stuff they don't need. Um, so I mean, I'm both an engineer, and, I, and my specialty is probably branded marketing, so I'm probably the last person to raise this question, but I'm really fascinated by do brands matter anymore? You know, are people brand loyal or is it what your friend tells you to buy? Oh, I never heard of that. Oh, that's the best keychain. That's the best thing. That's the best flashlight. That's, you know, is anybody loyal to these brands anymore? So what is the, I'm fascinated to hear in this discussion what the relationship is between influencers who go, oh, I have 100,000 people who take my advice. They buy this flashlight because I know it's the best. So do they buy something else from that company or is it just kind of, is this the end of brands? As, as we know it, I mean, when we when we started in the Internet in the early 90s before, you know, we really this is the great democratization of music, of content, of politics, of opinion, of, of fashion, of, of writing, of everything. So are we still doing that? Is it does the, the small player who, you know, a woman who sews a few clothes together and has no brand and no name. And does that person have a chance in this thing? Maybe, you know, if some of you with a million followers go, this is the most beautiful blouse that anyone ever made this is this is you've got to check it out right so I love that idea that we can kind of go beyond brand but I would love to hear some discussion about the relationship between between the commercialization of social and the relationship between influencers and brands so that's kind of an open question great question just, yeah, great
1: question Bruce thank you um nice Bruce So I don't know if all of you know, but Bruce started the Rockport brand in the 1980s and then sold it to Adidas for a fortune, and he then, he then took over uh, the current, well, he had a big tech, tech uh, phase in the middle that was almost, what, 15 years, 20 years, and he now owns and runs Samuel Hubbard. Um, but uh, you told a story last night about how when you were first running around, was Bob one of your first customers? My father-in-law, uh, who was the CEO of Clark's for like 20 years, um, was one of Bruce's first customers in Rochester, New York. He had two, uh, shoe stores and he walked in and gave Bruce the biggest order he had ever gotten to date. Normally people were ordering, you know, two dozen pairs and, and, and Bob, uh, ordered a thousand. And, um, what, what stuck with me is that you said that you, you had no name on the shoes originally. They were just beautiful shoes that were super comfortable. That's what they were known for. But he said at one point he saw somebody walking down the street in his shoes, and he said, oh, I'm just curious. Do you like those shoes? And the guy said, I love them. They're the most comfortable shoes I've ever worn. But, God, I have no idea where to tell my friends to buy these things because there's no name on them. <laughs> Um, and so there's the power of branding right there, but let's take that question of Bruce's and pass it off to you, Natalie and Jeff, um, do brands matter anymore?
2: I would, I would argue. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I love so much about social media is that, you know, gone are the days where you need to hire a PR person in order to get your message out to the world. You don't need to create a press conference anymore. You can use social media to go directly to your audience and use them as a free focus group if you want. If you have a product and you want to find out what people think about it, trust me, for better or worse, on the internet, they will tell you. And that's incredibly powerful. And, and the other thing I will say is that I think, I think social media is so much more about psychology than it is about technology. It's really about getting people to think and act, and if you're lucky, rethink or reimagine what they already thought before they saw your post. And so it's a really important opportunity, not just to sell products, to your point, um, not just to use social media like word of mouth and tell your friends or your followers what you love, but to really mobilize them to make changes in their community if they don't like what they are seeing or politically if they don't enjoy the government that we currently have. You know, this is, this is a platform that you guys have. Yeah. I mean, this is a platform that we all have and and what are we doing on it that we're going to look back on in 20 years and feel really proud of?
1: Um, Jeff, before I pass it to you, I got one comment on that. Um, Brands, May or may not matter. I want to hear your opinion on that. But the thing that I think is really interesting is that stories matter more than they ever have. Um, and obviously most brands are built around a story, whether it's philanthropic or or green or whatever it is. Um, and so how do you feel about that subject?
3: Um, this is something I actually looked at recently. Um, and... The term that's come up in front of me recently has been the term narrative instead of story. Um, A brand can tell a story which is actually very powerful and Bruce and I were talking about today actually at lunchtime in terms of his daughter at eight years old brought down a design of a shoe and you decided to get back into the shoe business. And seven years later you're back in the shoe business because of a a daughter doing a design of a shoe, bring it down to a dad, and he's back in the business. He's back in the you know shoe business. I went. I, I would. That's a really powerful story. On top of story is another level which is called the narrative. Now the narrative is where you allow a, a narrative. Something like Nike, for example, is just do it, and. Um, For example, Apple, Um, here's to the crazy ones, right? So the reality is that a narrative allows you to connect with your customer and let them write the story. So for example, Nike, just do it. That means that we bring the shoes and you create the narrative. And there's much more power in abstraction than there is actually telling someone specifically what to do. So you've got to not tell them what to do. You've got to give them inspiration of what to do. And that's where the power of narrative becomes really important.
1: Yeah, and I think the uh, the narrative among the D2C world is uh, really loud right now. There's so many brands trying to make their story rise above the noise in order to gain traction. And um, I remember once I... I uh, I was working at Brooks Brothers. I was running their wholesale sales, and I saw this this thing on Facebook about this company, Bonobos, that was making these great pants where any guy can lose their diaper butt. Right? <laughs> they they lose the the bagginess of the traditional khakis, which Brooks Brothers was a horrible offender of. Um, and, uh, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. These guys seem pretty cool. Uh, two Stanford, Stanford MBA graduates, a- Andy Dunn and Brian Spalley. And, um, so I bought a pair of their pants and, uh, they were like 70 bucks and they were crap. I mean, complete crap. Like I know, I know fabrics, I know fit, I know like down to warp and weft, I understand construction. And so I turned them inside out and I marked them all up and I showed them where all the all the bad seams were, why everything was surged <laughs> incorrectly. And I put them in a box and I mailed them to them. Wow. <laughs> and they called me up and they said, uh, we want you to come in for an interview. And I said, well, I'm not looking for a job. I just wanted you to know your pants are crap. <laughs> and they said, well, we still want you to come in for an interview. There's
3: a lawn in there somewhere as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I went in and they had, uh, they were smart guys. They had, uh, they had bought uh, a, uh, a loft, Uh, what's an apartment without one bedroom? A studio. Studio, yeah. And um, they said, you know, we bought this studio with some of the investment we got, and if the company doesn't work out, we can sell the studio and pay our investors back some of the money. And we also live here so we don't have rent and blah, blah, blah. It was, you know, they were smart guys. They were thinking about stuff like that. And they said, why don't you like our pants? And I gave them all the reasons. And then they said, okay, will you... um, will you write a six-page report on why or how you think our brand can be better? And if we like that report, we'll hire you and we'll pay you this amount and we'll give you this much of the company. I said, absolutely not. I said, if you want me to write a report about your brand, you need to pay me for it. Um, So they went on to convince a lot of mostly Wall Street friends of theirs that their pants were cool. And um, they obviously made a big business. They then sold it to Walmart. Actually, Brian and Andy had a falling out. And and Brian was the guy that um, started Trunk Club. Uh, That's where he went next. Um, But the interesting thing about what they did was that they were the first Facebook-only ad brand to come out, where they didn't put a dollar into display. They didn't put a dollar into outdoor. They just did Facebook ads. And this was really before Instagram Um, and I thought that was really interesting because they were hammering home this message that our pants essentially are going to make you feel sexier as a straight man. Um, so there's so many D to C brands out there right now that are trying to do that. What would you say to a brand or what would you do if you had your own brand today to try and rise above the noise?
2: Is anybody here familiar with the brand M.M. LaFleur? Yeah. yeah, good. I love it. I see a couple hands. So <coughs> M.M. LaFleur, I think, is a really, did a really smart thing. It's a company that is founded by a woman probably around my age. She's in her mid-30s. She never worked in retail before. She just understood that the way that women's clothes are marketed – is with the same intention that we all enjoy shopping and that we all spend a lot of time shopping. And of course, if you're a busy woman, that's not always the case. I don't know about you, but if I know my brand, my size and a brand that I shop all the time, this dress included, I will go to the store and I will literally take it off the rack and put it in my bag.
1: Ted Baker, by the way. Ted Baker.
2: It's so adorable. It's plaid, and it's for in Montana.
1: Props.
2: Um, And... And then I go on the website, right? I don't even go into the store. I'll buy everything online once I know my size. And so M.M. Lafleur started a brand that they raised $70 million with last year under the premise that some women don't love shopping, and some women have better things to do than spend hours and hours in a store. We know our size. We like what we like. We go to a website. We put clothes in the cart. And so, A, what I think she really did was she minimized the amount of time people have to spend in a store. They have a couple stores in key cities like Seattle and Chicago and New York, but 90% of their customers shop online. And so what I think they really did that I would emulate if I started a retail brand or any other is that I would capitalize on this idea that we don't all shop the same way. And if you can identify a segment of the market, even 10% or 15% of the market that's like, "Oh yeah, I also don't love standing in a store and trying on a million things. I think you can leverage that and create a brand that maybe has long-term gains.
1: Great. Jeff, how do you feel about that?
3: Uh, It's not my specialty, so um, I I don't have a lot to add really on that. Um, But there was a question you posed before which we didn't address, which was um, how do you connect influencers and brands and what crossed my mind was a thought. Um, there's a guy called Kevin Kelly who actually wrote about a thousand true fans, right? And the other thing that, and then there's a, another blog post written by Seth Godin, a book actually, which was about uh, weak ties. Actually, it wasn't Seth, but it was weak ties and strong ties. Now, weak ties are scalable we actually can connect with the people globally right on social media so for me when i started off i built a lot of weak ties in other words i connect with people globally on social media i used to be up late at night writing at midnight in australia where i could see america wake up on twitter this was 10 years ago when social media was a tribe right now it's just corporatized capitalism Right. This is just another media company. Mark Zuckerberg is actually the, the next. He's the media mogul now. So he's a publisher. Yeah. It so, wasn't media. No. No. It wasn't
4: media. The word you got to pay attention to was media. It
3: wasn't media. It was social relationships and friendships.
1: That's right. So. It's more a medium.
3: Yeah. So what I realised is I actually could create sweet ties digitally and virtually. But where the real power for me came over the years was attending events like this. And part of the reason I'm here is not because of the ranch and the beautiful place we're in. It's actually because I've got to meet the most fascinating people face-to-face, break bread, and have a
1: drink together with them.
3: That's what I... Isn't that so good to do?
1: 100%.
3: Yeah. So the reason I'm here is because of strong ties, right? And that's actually
1: social
3: okay and i totally get it because i've been down the whole virtual route Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't have a role it has a huge role but the role of that is actually to allow me to create strong ties and george what you've done here is actually connecting brands with influencers in real life that's to be celebrated thank you
1: To learn more about solar and to hear more solar stories, visit solar.com or visit our Instagram channel, solar.hq. Any questions or comments from the crowd before we jump on to my next question? Alex, do you want to come up to the mic? Will you introduce yourself when you come up, please?
5: Good.
0: Hi, my name is Alex Reed. Um, I'm an artist, and I think my influence comes from my music career, not so much being an internet personality per se. But when you're talking about brands, what I thought was an interesting thing is you were saying it's it's changing, you know, how brands are important and the value of having a big name versus just putting out a really good product and the right person endorsing it, that could blow up. But what social media, I think, really teaches me about a brand – is that it's more important to be a, be an, like be an authority figure on something as opposed to everything, you know? So you can learn as a brand that when you're selling something, this is your product. You don't have to appeal to everybody. You have to appeal to somebody because there's a lot of those specific somebodies, and that's how these influencers capitalize. It's like you know, they, they're a vegan and they live that lifestyle and it's not, oh, I'm a vegan, but I'm also this and I'm also that. It's I'm a vegan and all my views align. So then every person who can align follows them. So that's how, and like you said, selling clothes to women who don't like to shop. It's not saying we sell clothes to women who like to shop, don't like to shop, don't have time, might have time. It's saying you don't have time. Here we go. So I think it's really interesting how I think brands can learn from social media branding. I think social media branding can learn from brands, you know, and how you sell yourself and how you sell your product. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Mm
1: -hmm. So, uh, for my next question, I'd I'd really like to pull the influencers in the room into the conversation in a specific way. Um, I think that the one thing that doesn't get talked about enough with regards to the world of influencing is how much they hustle, um, how hard it is to get up every day and create relevant and interesting content that will entertain their fans and keep them around. Um, and then the the tough side of that is that in many cases that th- th- they're... well. They're either not getting paid for their effort and their time, um, or they're not properly monetizing that audience so that they get uh, a return on their investment. Um, So I would like any influencers in the room uh, to come up and tell a story about that as to whether you agree with me or disagree with me. I don't know, Lyris is, are you there? Yeah, so Lyris, you're a good example. I think you and Alicia are my two favorite examples Lyris Cross and Alicia Net are my two favorite examples of uh, hustlers—people um, that are constantly creating content and doing it in a very relevant and interesting way. Um, so, am I right about that? Is it—is it—is it exhausting? Do you not get your return on your investment? I want to—I want to hear—I want to hear from you. <laughs> Lyris Cross, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
5: <sighs> not only me has to do it. Um, hi everybody. Hi, Nancy. I I mean it, it is exhausting. Let me turn this way because I feel like I have my back to everybody. It is exhausting um, at times to do social media and I think uh, brands and people don't realize how much goes into it. So they think like, oh, you're just posting your Instagram post. No, I have to sometimes get my makeup and hair done. I have to make sure I have somebody come to my house or meet me at a location. I have to make sure that they are a good person to actually get the shot because otherwise it's like frivolous. And then what's going to make it unique? to people to draw them to either attend this event or um, or buy this outfit. I think Alicia with like clothing, she's amazing. She, um, like after I met her and I started to watch her social media, I was like, she's just bananas with it. She's so good with it. But I think one of the things that uh, her and I both share is we have a way of bringing people along on the journey. It's not so much like, look at me, look at me. It's like even the post I'm doing while we're here at the ranch. It's like, hey, all right, so we're about to go on this thing here. It's not like, look at me, da-da-da-da-da. And I think that draws a lot of people to us because it feels like I'm living this journey with you. I literally just today got at least 5 messages like oh my god i wish i was there i have to check out this resort um i'm just going to live through you i wish i could go you know and i get that a lot of times when i travel so i think one of the key things is definitely taking the people on the journey with you but as far as with the brands well, like my sister always say standards are what you allow. So you have to stand for something. So if you feel like this company is trying to get a whole bunch of work out of you and you're like, mm, no, I'm sorry. Like we need to work out something either, um, you know, I'm getting a certain percentage or you're paying me a flat rate. Cause this is the thing I can post something. Um, sometimes it can swing both ways. I can post something. Somebody may not buy anything that day, but they may start to follow a company. And then next thing, you know, that company has a sale. And then they're like, well, I started following them because of Lyris. Let me just take advantage of the sale and try one piece. If they buy one piece and that piece is amazing for them. Next thing, you know, this company has a repeat customer. So, in reality, I'm not even getting all the money that that person may be buying for the next five to ten years from that company. So that's why I think sometimes it's like you just got to give your flat rate and say, look, this is how much it is for me to post or we have to work out something. Yeah, Brands really do need to understand the other side of the table. And they can do that by, hey, why don't you for a week? post your life, post your outfit, post your... And they would say, you know what? Oh, my God, I had to make... Th- I mean, I've sometimes spent two hours making a slideshow.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen like, I've seen you do
5: it. Yeah, I've been at events, and he's like, what is Lyris doing? Okay, Lyris is over there working on something. So it's like, literally, it's a lot to the point where I'm like, I, maybe, maybe it's time for me to hire somebody. But I, th- I just feel it feels more organic when it comes from me.
1: Right. absolutely. Thank you for sharing that what What are your um, yeah. I'd love to hear your feedback
2: i want I want to touch upon something that Lyra said, which I think is so universal in the influencer community, which is that it doesn't matter, you know, if you outearn the lawyer, the doctor, or the accountant sitting at your Thanksgiving table, when I say to someone I'm a social media content creator, we feel the, the, the weight in the air, right? I see a lot of nods. It's it's There's a stigma. There's so many stigmas to that. And I don't think people understand the amount of work, to Lyris' point, that goes into that job. And also this idea that, you know, I'm putting together sometimes a 2 hour slideshow sometimes it takes me 2 months to put a post together right if i'm working back and forth with a brand on content approvals imagery hiring the photographer hiring the makeup and the and the hair person contracts contracts my lawyer looking at that contract right now they want exclusivity what do we do we build that into the contract and then, and then forget it, now the post is up, now the work really begins. I'm responding to comments, I'm looking at hashtags that I want to include there, right? It doesn't end when the post goes up. Break your glass, it's upsetting. <laughs> so I think, I think we really need to reframe how we look at this business and this idea that, you know, I think so, a lot of people look at social media and they think, oh, I do, I, do, I have an Instagram. I, I post to Twitter, I post for fun. So maybe your job is fun. Maybe what you're doing I could do, right? Like I think that's the logic, right? Because social media is an industry that everyone participates in for fun, is it an industry that we perceive to be professional? Please. Sorry, but
5: they say the same thing with modeling. Like, mm-hmm. People think it's just fun until you have to go yeah. and shoot 50 looks in a day for a catalog client, then that same person that does an outfit post, they don't understand, wow, modeling really is something. Yeah.
2: yeah, it is. Sure. I only wear flats. I get it. <laughs> I'm with you.
3: Jeff, do
1: you ha- do you have any uh, comments on that? The the, yeah, the I, struggle I, of the uh, social content creator?
3: Yeah, well, I think the struggle with the influencer and the brand is the brand quite often doesn't value the long-term game. <laughs> The reality is that a lot of influencers spent a decade building their brand. It's right. not about an hourly rate. The other thing too is if an influencer works with a brand, uh, you really the brand should be thinking more about a long-term game to really do split testing. A, B, does this work? Can we generate leads? Can we build brand awareness? So the brand needs to actually consider playing a long game. And everyone, so this is the thing, we live in a society of quick fixes, Okay. So the reality is, we actually got to play a long game. Just to give an example, uh, I one long game is actually building content on a website, and Google ranking you over time, till eventually you're generating millions of traffic, free visitors from organic search, which has come from playing the long content game. Influencers, as you know, experts knowing their stuff, have played a long game, and a lot of brands don't get that. And I think the challenge for an influencer is selling that to the brand, going, okay, let's do a 12-month gig, right? Let's really double down because we've got to test things, right? It's actually a long-term game.
1: I wish that was happening more. Go um, I... Go ahead. So
4: I wanted to add something to the long-term game, which is that um, recently I was interviewing the head of a marketing agency, and he was talking about cadence marketing, which I, I, I don't know how that falls in or if anyone here thinks about that, but this idea that the first time you see a brand you don't buy, if you see it again 72 hours later... You will, and there's actually like there's a rhythm to the actual purchase cycle that brands forget yep. when they're asking for one-off posts
3: yeah exactly yeah and, and um, the reality is that you only build cred- credibly in trust I think there's actually some uh, there's some research that shows that if you're seen once or twice your trust factor is about two percent if you're seen three to five times your trust factor goes to fifty five percent. So you actually, by working with a brand and getting the name out there, uh, you actually are building trust that turns up in a in a purchase twelve months later, right? And so, and then, well, Bruce and I were talking. you talking about the lifetime value of the customer, and the numbers that Bruce talked to me about over lunch today was the number of the lifetime value versus the initial purchase is like five times larger, ten times larger. So, But everyone wants a quick fix, and a lot of brands go, oh, we'll we'll test you out for a week, two weeks, one month. So I think the challenge for influencers is to be able to show to the brand the long-term value of a long-term relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think that... it, it's it's the platform or the brand's duty to ultimately deliver on the sale to the customer, even when the influencer is driving the traffic. You know, if people are pushing uh, their followers or their fans to Solar, that's their job. Their job is done. Our job at Solar is to close that consumer with that's interesting, yeah, an interesting platform where they trust us enough to put their credit card information in and all of that. So, I think that when Brands are often working with influencers. They're not doing their homework. They're not understanding the true relevance of this person, the true effort that this person puts in. Um, And they don't understand how that person fits into the overall uh, social media game. Most people think that there's tens of thousands of influencers out there making money doing it every day, and that's not true. There's... uh, Globally, there's 966,000 influencers that have more than 50,000 fans. And that is the only group that does it as a source of income. And then when you get up to 200,000 fans, there's only 75,000 in the world. And so there's actually a much smaller pool of real professional content creators, which really that's the only class we're interested in uh, at Solar. Um that's a smaller pool than most brands really understand, and they don't recognize the people they're reaching out to to generate traffic to their brand as being a, a true specialist inside of that small global pot. Thank you for your answers on that. Um, the last thing I would like to talk about, because we do have to wrap up, is... Um, Taking what we just talked about a little bit further, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with this because I think this is its own, this will be its own, uh, podcast episode at some point, but the, uh, the amount of anxiety and depression and, uh, um, challenges that not only content creators have, um, but the general public has as a result of social media and the way that people react to them and respond to them, um, It's, uh, there was a a woman, actually an influencer, her handle is gel cream that, um, was featured in an article in Refinery29, like three weeks ago, shared it with my team and, um, gel cream is famous for the way that she shoots beauty products. And, uh, after like 2,200 posts one day, her post was just, uh, her hand holding up a bottle of Xanax and the writers at refinery 29 saw that and called her up and wrote an article around it. And the truth is she woke up every morning with unbelievable anxiety because she felt like she had to produce and entertain her fan base, regardless of whether she was getting compensated for it or not. And we all know that screen time and, um, the effort, uh, put into the digital mediums is, uh, in some ways toxic. And um, so I'm, I'm wondering if there's anybody in the room who would like to share a story about that. Come on up. You. Introduce yourself, Miss Angela.
6: Hi, guys. I'm Angela Jones, and I'm sitting there like holding back my comments because I guess I'll step up here like Lyris did, because I like to look at my audience. <laughs> um, but I feel like, you know, I'm speaking from both sides of the coin, right? Because for the majority of my life, even when I was, you know, in my teens, I was thrown into like the, the entertainment industry, right? So there was a standard there. So, you know, I'm a singer, songwriter, and that's kind of what catapulted me um, into some of the things that I've done so far. But I believe that there was always this unattainable goal that I strived for, which wasn't necessarily like true to who I was as a person, but I had all these amazing talents and gifts, right? And and the, the idea is to share that with the world. And how do you do that in the most authentic way, right? And so now here I am as a person who's done that my entire life and been on stage and like, you know, spoken to you know, thousands of people in more ways than I can even um, articulate, and I'm an owner of a business, and I'm struggling with the fact that I didn't really latch on to the social media or the social aspect of media as it pertains to an individual putting themselves out there. So the struggle for me has always been, you know, kind of like not overdoing it to the extent that I am you know, feeling the pressures of, you know, waking up every morning like, I'm not doing enough and not living in the moment. So, what I'm realizing as we're here, you know, sharing our stories and like just being a part of this amazing experience, it's like we have to come down to earth. And it's hard to do that as an influencer or a person who is looking for that as a means of income or supporting themselves. Because at the end of the day, we're all just basic individuals who enjoy great conversation with people we can just chill with and have a good time with. And there's this block, right, that we experience with social media, where it's like, I see everything that, you know, the people I've grown up with are doing, but have I spoken to them in the last two years, five years? Am I really connecting with them? And it just is, um, I think it's important to really understand the reason that we're here and the reason, and when I say the reason we're here, I'm saying the reason we're here as individuals. Like, what's our purpose, right? Our purpose is to share our gifts and talents on a very real basic level, not, you know, in a way that, exhaust us to the point where we're not experiencing what we're in in the moment. You know, I've taken so many photos this weekend and I'm just, I mean, this week as I've been here and I'm like, like, do I put my phone down? Do I leave my phone in the room? You know, no, and just no, like, you know, that's, that's the part yeah. that's like, and it's crippling, Yeah. but we're all out here making the most amazing content. So it's like the, you know, it's a double edged sword when you think about it because we really should be getting back to the basics. And I think that that's what true brand um, representation stands for. I'll continue to buy all those brands that I remember from, a, you know, as a child or like things that I saw. Like I'm like, this is what I appreciate about this particular brand. And it's not because somebody else wore it, you know, to a certain extent, but there's awareness that comes with that. So I, I can totally understand the perspective there but I feel like we have to find that line where we understand like what's the shut off point like when's the switch go off where we say let me just experience life because tomorrow is not promised you know what I mean but it's amazing it's just it's just a beautiful thing to experience and we can't take it for granted but at the same time we do have to find that happy medium
1: right excellent thank you for sharing that So, I yes. Take
4: take a quick poll. How many influencers think they're extroverts, and how many influencers think they're
1: introverts? That's an interesting question. How many? I'll repeat Bruce's question. How many influencers in the room think that they're extroverts, and how many think that they're introverts? Maybe maybe we'll do extroverts extroverts first. first. Extroverts. One. Extroverts. One, two, three. Okay. How many are introverts? Okay, the majority of them are introverts.
4: More intro- it's more- yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. More who are introverts <laughs> than X- yeah,
1: that's really interesting. Um, I I often think about that. I think that uh, people that are are truly um, um, cerebral and they and they really hold a lot of things inside um, actually get a, a dopamine hit from being able to share it in a very public way, but without having to have like an embarrassing interaction with somebody where you've got to overshare yourself, right? Like you just did. (laughs) That was a wonderful story. Thank you for giving that to us, Angela. Um, So, I would love uh, for uh, Natalie and Jeff to um, close us up. Um, Natalie, why don't we start with you? Some some final thoughts.
2: Um, I will not be one of those people auditioning. (laughs) (laughs) I like... (laughs) I have a lot of respect, by the way, for you, um, for having won and even competed. That's amazing. Um, so final thoughts. Okay, I, I think, you know, Angela, you, you put it really well. I think we're sometimes caught up in sort of this game of followers and, you know, one of the most common questions I get asked is like, Natalie, how do I get verified? You know, it doesn't end in terms of using verification for validation. Um, and it hurts me when I see it from really young people, especially because I think what is happening is that people are sort of confusing quantity with quality. And it's so important to remind ourselves, and I'm guilty of this too, that if I post once a week and it's a really, really good post and I feel really proud of it, and I don't post again for five days or eight days or, 12 days or whatever it is, I have to be able to live with that and know that anybody who drops off of my platform because I took four days for mental health is not a follower I want. Just like it wouldn't be a friend you want if you needed three days to yourself, right? To, to Thank you. So I really feel that. And I think we need to kind of all get behind that and and maybe retrain our audience. Maybe it's like a group effort that we need to remind them that we're doing this, yes, for a living. Yes, in some ways, because we love it and we enjoy it and we want to serve our audience well, but we also need to serve ourselves. That's the only way
1: we can serve our followers. Thank you, Natalie. Jeff?
3: Uh, just listening to your honest story about the challenge and influencer feels about engaging with the community and uh, whether they're worthy because they actually haven't done something or not getting enough attention, there's a great quote. I can't remember who it's from. It's not mine, but we often judge our insides by the outsides of others. Yeah. Mm. 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 Say that again. We often judge our insides by the outsides of the others because on social media everyone's just showing how good they look their life's fabulous adventure and we all feel unworthy because we're not living up to that that is the most dangerous place to live so guess what i actually don't have any alerts from any social media on my phone and i very rarely check the whole news feed on the other hand i think there's a really positive part there's a really positive part to social media. And I think uh, as human beings, we're innately creative. All of us, we've all got a gift to share with the world. Your challenge in life is to find out what that is. It might to be an entrepreneur, to create a product, whether it's shoes, whether it's you know fashion, it doesn't really matter whether you're a writer or a video photographer. What I've loved about social media and online creation is that when you create something and then share it with the world, the world shows up. And you don't have to be a Steve Jobs, you don't have to be a Jeff Bezos. But I think within all of us is an incredibly powerful force to actually, well, we need to understand what our gift is. And there's a beautiful two-minute video by Steven Spielberg And I think before we actually share anything with the world, we need to understand why we're actually on the planet. And and Steven Spielberg said, the gift you need to share with the world will not shout at you. It'll turn up as a whisper. And you've got to hear the whisper and then you've got to share it with the world.
1: That's where the magic happens. Natalie and Jeff, thank you so much for for being here and uh, sharing this uh, conversation with us. Um, We hope you have a wonderful week here. We hope you come back. We hope you stay uh, our friends for a long time and part of the solar community for a long time. And thank everyone else here for joining uh, this conversation today. Thank you, everybody, for your stories. That's it for Solar Stories. Thank you so much for listening. Please come back next time for another great guest and another great story on the art and business of influence. I'm George Manley. This is where the story starts. We can't wait to hear yours. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. You can find more about solar at solar.com. Copyright 2019. Solar Inc. All rights reserved. Thank you for listening.